0: Uh, we do have a kids' class that's available at this time. For those of you who aren't aware, it just meets in the back of this large room here in the smaller classroom there. There's also a fully staffed nursery that meets in the room over here off to the, this side of the building, and you're more than welcome to make use of either a kids' class or the nursery <coughs> if you would like. Uh, I'd ask you to join me, if you would, in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 1 this morning, last week we just started opening up Mark's Gospel together and we'll no doubt spend many weeks in it in the days to come. Mark chapter 1. More people work remotely now than ever ever before. There's certainly been a lot of talk about it and lots of work can be accomplished from a distance. There's no question about that and actually it's quite amazing the day and age in which we live, uh, how people can work with technology and get things done all around the world. However, not every task can get done from a remote location, Uh, even with technology. Sometimes you simply must be on site to actually accomplish the task and get it done, uh, particularly due to the nature of the job. At the dawn of time, God worked for six days and he created a world in which he said that everything was good. Again and again, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then he tasked man with exercising dominion over all that he had created. And in short order, man messed everything up so badly through sin that God had to hang his curse over all of creation. Now, God has remained involved in his creation all the way along. It's not as if he stepped back and walked away. He's very much involved in it. But the world is broken And none of that is God's fault. It's our fault. It it all traces back to sin, and it is a mess. God needed to come to earth to fix the problem. And that is exactly what God set out to do, as we saw last week in the beginning of Mark's gospel. Last week, we saw how God announced uh, that he was going to come, and he was going to arrive on site, on the scene. And that people needed to prepare for his arrival. And in our text here today, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, does that very thing. He makes his inaugural appearance on site to begin his work as a servant to get the job done. And multiple exchanges are going to occur. Lots of them. Jesus came as a servant to stand beneath heaven against sin and before men. And that's what we're going to see in our text this morning. Join me in Mark chapter 1, verse 9. I'll read down through verse 15. In those days, and the the context is John the Baptist baptizing in the wilderness. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, Jesus said, and believe the gospel. This morning, as we look at this text, I think what we find in this text is that Jesus came to stand at least in three different places. And so we want to look at three places that Jesus came to stand. First, Jesus came to stand beneath heaven. Well, verses 9 to 11 record for us the baptism of Jesus and we're watching it uh, play out uh, initially on the horizontal plane, on the human level. The text, however, draws special attention not to the, not to the horizontal plane, but to the vertical The plane from heaven to earth. Jesus came to stand beneath heaven. And the exchange that we see in verses 9 to 11, more than anything else, is an exchange between heaven and earth. It's a vertical exchange. In verse 9, the Son of God arrives bodily to the Jordan River. And he comes, if we take what John said in the the previous paragraph, sort of at face value, he's probably coming wearing leather sandals, with dusty, dirty, and i would imagine blistered and calloused feet just like all the people around him there in the wilderness. He's a man standing in the sea in a sea of men, sinful men, i might add. And he's come all the way from a little known place called Nazareth and further yet from heaven itself. Jesus came to stand beneath heaven, identifying with sin and sinners. Look at verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Jesus came out into the wilderness to be baptized by John the Baptist. Why on earth would Jesus do that? It almost doesn't even seem to make sense. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, verse 4 told us. So, John's baptism, everybody else that was going out to be baptized, they're all confessing their sin and saying, I'm a sinner in need of God's cleansing. Well, in verse 11, we're going to see that God the Father was perfectly pleased with Jesus Christ. There is no sin in him. He didn't have any sin to confess. He had no need of forgiveness. Why on earth would God arrive on the scene and take an action that identifies himself with sin and sinners? Well, through John's baptism, standing beneath heaven, Jesus identified himself with all of us, with sinful mankind. And he did not stand there because of his sin. He stood there because of ours and the people of those days as well. Jesus came to stand beneath heaven, not only identifying himself with sin and sinners, but also marking the dawn of a new age. A new day has come. Look at verses 10 and 11. It's uh, right after his baptism, it says, And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. As Jesus comes up out of the water, uh, as, as that's happening, he sees the heavens being ripped open, torn open, and the Spirit of God coming down, and God the Father speaks. According to Old Testament scriptures, these phenomena signified God uh, breaking into human experience and existence. They signify the dawning of a new era in the way that God is now going to relate to men. Now God is going to relate to men through Jesus Christ. His baptism is marking the dawn of a new age, a new time, a new era in God's dealing with men. There's a prayer in the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1, that goes like this. It seems to be related to the Jewish Messiah. It says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. Jesus came to stand beneath heaven, marking the dawn of a new age. He's, He's identifying himself with sin and sinners. What's happening is marking the dawn of a new age. And as well, Jesus came to stand beneath heaven, receiving the affirmation, of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all in union together in what's happening here. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, said this. Isaiah 42, I believe, is uh, one of the servant songs, as they're called in Isaiah. And Isaiah 42, verse 1, says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. That was said in the book of Isaiah. And what Isaiah prophesied about uh, God's servant, uh, the the Jewish Messiah, is demonstrated at the baptism of Jesus. He has the the affirmation of heaven above. The Father, saying, this is my son. This is the servant. I'm pleased with him. So we see this receiving of affirmation of the Godhead, and that is seen in the Spirit's power. If you look back at verse 10, it says, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open And the Spirit descending on him like a dove. So the Spirit of God comes to rest upon Jesus and empower him for service. The Spirit uh, filled and empowered Jesus for his work as God's servant. He's about to embark on an incredible work. And heaven heaven is testifying that Jesus is God's Son and God's servant. Heavenly affirmation also comes in the form of the Father's approval. verse 11, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Uh, God the Father, now verbally attesting to the deity and the perfection of Jesus Christ. This text is highlighting and what was going on there, Jesus is the Father's son. And he is loved by the Father and everything about Jesus is holy and good and pleasing to the Father. The work that Jesus is about to embark upon, uh, I think this text is highlighting, this is the work of a triune God. God the Father speaking from heaven. God the Son being baptized. God the Holy Spirit coming down. Whatever is occurring on earth below with Jesus and whatever is about to happen is testified to by heaven above. Jesus came to stand beneath heaven. And I would just put this thought in your mind that Jesus stood there for you. We're all born beneath heaven, but we don't stand here below heaven like Jesus did. It could not be said in our natural state that the Father is pleased with us, which is why Jesus came to stand here. Jesus came to stand beneath heaven and second. Jesus came to stand against sin There is no sin in Jesus. In all of his ways, he's holy, he's pure, he's good, he's undefiled by sin, he's clean. There's no evil in him, not even the tiniest little smudge. He's innocent of all sin and he has the Father's delight. And so how striking it is that the place where we find Jesus standing next is the very antithesis of who Jesus is and what he represents. If there is a setting that could convey the very opposite of what Jesus is, who he is, and what he represents, it's the setting that the Spirit of God drives him out into next, thrusts him out into. Look at verses 12 to 13. It says that the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. It's a a strong idea that that phraseology drove him out. It's the same language used elsewhere of Jesus casting out demons. He's being driven out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, verse 13 says, being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. The wilderness? Yes, Jesus came to stand against sin. Coming face to face with the curse of sin. Do you remember how the book of Genesis described the Garden of Eden that Colossians chapter one tells us that Jesus made The Garden of Eden, what we know about it is, it was lush, it was fruitful, it was abundant, bountiful, green, it was well watered. Uh, And in that setting, Adam names the animals one by one. And then proceeds to live in harmony and peace with all of those animals in the Garden of Eden. If that setting depicts paradise and God's blessing and favor, then certainly the dry, arid, hostile wilderness and the vicious animals roaming it Depict the setting of the curse of sin. This setting literally does not exist before sin. And Jesus came to stand against sin. He came to stand, coming face to face with the curse of sin and all of its ramifications. He's no longer in the place of heavenly glory, He humbly left that. He's here, and He's out in the wilderness. I started to think this week about all the ways that I was personally feeling and experiencing the curse, just this week. And several specific matters came to my mind uh, physically, relationally, occupationally, and and so on and so forth. And I, I just sat thinking about those things, thinking, you know, I hate the curse of sin. I hate this. I hate living in a world that is cursed and broken by sin. And there's this longing and this craving for that to be done away. What about you? Where have you felt and experienced the curse of sin this week? I doubt you have to think very hard or very long to just be struck by the weight of where you've felt it. Jesus is in the wilderness. And as you see Jesus out there, take note that he's right there in the thick of it too, feeling its full weight. And I guarantee you that Jesus has felt the weight of the curse of sin like no man. Jesus stood there for you and for me. Jesus came to stand against sin, coming face to face with the curse of sin, as well as coming face to face with the temptation to sin. Jesus is standing there in enemy territory on Satan's home field. I grew up in a setting where high school basketball was highly prized and uh, very much woven into the fabric of the culture itself. Uh, Big Friday night games and small Cracker Box gyms. And in our gym, our high school gym, the center block wall was literally like three feet from the out-of-bounds line. You get going too fast, you don't stop, it's like right into the wall. The bleachers uh, in our little tiny gym were way up above on a on a different level completely. And that little gym on a Friday night full of fans would roar with life. And in those settings, there really is something called uh, the home court advantage, right? It's all of your fans there. This is your gym, your fans, your court. 90% of the fans are cheering for the home team. Well, as Jesus steps out into the wilderness, we might say, it's an away game. He's standing smack dab in the middle of enemy territory with all of the crosshairs aimed right at him. It's a hostile setting. And verse 13 says, it says, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Uh, One person said Israel was in the wilderness 40 years. Moses was on Mount Sinai 40 days and nights. Elijah was led 40 days and nights to Mount Horeb. You just think about biblical history for a moment. The wilderness has been a place of trial. It has been a place of testing. It has been a place of, of proving. The wilderness is a proving grounds. And how is Jesus going to fare? How will he do? Jesus comes face to face with sin and the full weight of temptation, and he stands his ground. He wins. He doesn't give an inch. He's perfectly righteous. You know, you too have come face to face with the temptation to sin. You've been face to face with sin this week. How did it go? What did that look like for you this week? Did you stand in victory against your sin and hold your ground? Or did you stand in alliance and allegiance with it? Which of us here could say that we stood this week without sinning even one time? I don't think any of us could say that. You see Jesus in the wilderness. He's standing there for you. He's standing there on behalf of you. Jesus came to stand against sin coming face to face as well with the father of sin. Verse 13 says that he was being tempted by Satan. We see the son of God face to face with the father of evil. Jesus is the promised seed of the woman in Genesis 3:15 and he's arrayed against all the forces of evil. And there he stands and he stands in victory. And by the way, the places that we're seeing Jesus stand, these aren't just like, oh, he stood there for 40 days in the wilderness and then the idea there is gone. This isn't just the case in the wilderness. It's the case everywhere Jesus goes throughout his whole earthly ministry. He's standing beneath heaven. He's standing against sin. He's standing before men. That's his whole earthly ministry. And he never caves. He never slips. 1 John Chapter 3, verse 8 tells us that the reason the Son of God appeared, that's what we're talking about, this this pronouncement that he's going to arrive on the scene. The reason that the Son of God appeared, 1 John 3, verse 8 says, was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to stand against sin. Also, we note that he was coming face to face with the help of heaven verse 13 says that in his time in the wilderness, the angels were ministering to him. The idea, it seems to be that they were there throughout those 40 days with him, ministering to him. Heaven lends its help. And I think there's uh, perhaps a few reminders there. I mean, we could really dive deep into what we know about angels, which isn't necessarily a lot. But I think we're reminded that the work of Jesus is the work of the Godhead. As Jesus stands there battling everything he's facing in the wilderness... God the Father sends His heavenly hosts. I think it should be an encouragement to us as well that the help of heaven is there in our own battle against sin. If God has called you to fight sin and you want to fight it, then God is there to help you win. What a great encouragement that is. The world is receiving ongoing updates about the war in Ukraine right now. You've probably seen various headlines. It seems like many of those headlines uh, have to do with land or ground being taken or back and forth. Oh, you know, Ukraine sees this land. Uh, Russia sees this land. There's this perpetual battle for land and territory. And I think we're Familiar with that idea of ground being taken on one side or the other. Through all of Satan's attacks, Jesus holds the line. Not even a millimeter is given. Sin never took any of his ground. He stood his ground in perfect righteousness. Jesus came to stand against sin. And again, I think you have to get this thought in your mind. Jesus came to stand there all the way out in the wilderness facing all the forces of evil and sin and temptation and he's standing there for you. He stood there as your substitute. And he stood there as your example and encouragement for all of your personal and spiritual battles against sin. I love what Hebrews four fifteen to 16 says. It says, For we do not have a high priest, and it's speaking about Jesus Christ. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Think about it. We don't have a high priest who doesn't understand the curse. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then verse 16 offers an application of that. It says, let us then with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Look at Jesus standing there in the wilderness. Look at Jesus all throughout his earthly life. And you go to him and you say, would you help me? Would you help me stand against my sin? He will help you. Pray to him. Ask him for his grace. Go to the throne of grace and ask for help. You know, if Jesus loses in the wilderness, we all lose. But if Jesus wins in the wilderness and all throughout his earthly life, we can all win against sin through our union with him. His strength, his power, his grace becomes ours. Might I suggest to you that the two places that Jesus stood and will continue to stand all throughout the, place, all throughout the book of Mark are places that you either cannot stand in your own strength or are places that you have simply failed to stand. You have not and you could not stand beneath heaven as Jesus did. You do not stand beneath heaven with the Father's approval. He's not pleased with you. No man in his natural state has the Father's approval. And further you have not and could not stand against sin as jesus did you have not held your ground who could say that you have not stood you and i have caved again and again and again and again and again and again because you and i are sinners it's not just, we don't we aren't just people who sin this is who we are down to the very core of our being this is your greatest predicament that you are a sinner who cannot stand beneath heaven because you cannot stand against sin. And this is why Jesus came to stand in the third place that we're going to consider this morning. Jesus came not only to stand beneath heaven and against sin, Jesus came to stand before men. He came to look people face to face in the eye and personally tell them the greatest news that anyone could ever tell and the greatest news that anyone could ever hear. Verse 14 says, now after John was arrested, and there there seems to be a thought being conveyed here that the Old Testament prophets have all stepped off the scene. They're done. And now a new voice speaks. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. He's a prophetic voice and he's proclaiming good news from heaven. Jesus came to stand before men, declaring the arrival of the kingdom of God. This is good news. Look at verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. There's a king, and he has a kingdom. God is the king and the kingdom is his and he's, he's there to tell them that the, the time is fulfilled for the king and his kingdom and his rule. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand or near. And our first thought might be that when he said that, he meant that the kingdom of God was near in time, so to speak. And that, that's certainly true. The previous phrase brought out that time aspect that the time is fulfilled. However, while nearness might convey time, it's also possible that it could convey space or spatial proximity or distance. Jesus is standing right before men face to face and saying that the kingdom is near. They're standing he's the king is there standing before them. The coming king is face to face with these people. It's the dawn of a new era. And what does the king have to say to these people? Jesus came to stand before men, declaring the arrival of the kingdom of God and commanding repentance and faith. Look back at verses 14 and 15 again. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And now the king is going to speak some commands directly to these people. Repent and believe in the gospel. In other words, you must turn from something and you must turn to something. And the king has commanded it. Jesus Christ is king and lord and he commands this. First of all, he says, you must repent. You must turn from your sin. Jesus says, you must change your mind about your sin. And that change should produce a change in behavior. And you must confess that sin to God. Say exactly about your sin what God says about your sin. Admit to God that you have not stood against it, but you have actually loved and embraced it. Jesus says, repent. Confess your sin. Repent. And then he says, you must believe. You must turn and trust in the good news, as Jesus says. And what is that good news? Well, I think if we're trying to understand it just from the text that we're looking at, The good news is that Jesus stands beneath heaven as God's son. And he has identified himself with your sin. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He is God in the flesh. And he has taken his place identifying himself with your sin and mine. And this is seen ultimately not just in his baptism, but ultimately in his going to the cross with your sin on his shoulders. Jesus came to earth to stand beneath heaven identifying himself with our sin. And taking all of it on his shoulders. And there at the cross, he took it all. And he died on the cross, the Bible says, for your sins. And then we r- will read later that he, after dying, he, he would then rise again. Triumphing over the grave. The good news is that Jesus stands beneath heaven as God's son. And he has identified himself with your sin. And also the good news is that Jesus' stand against sin actually can become your stand against sin sin. His righteousness can become your righteousness. His victory can become your victory. What's going to unfold throughout the Gospel of Mark is that everything Jesus is doing, he's doing for men in their place. Jesus essentially is saying, here is my gift. Here is, my gift is, I'm standing beneath heaven for you. I'm standing against sin for you because you can't. Take my gift. Will you take it? And so Jesus simply says, repent and believe the gospel. Confess your sin to God and say, Jesus, I see you. And what you have done for me, I see it and I believe that it's enough to save me. Jesus' whole whole idea is, come enter the kingdom. Who's going to enter the kingdom? And the door to the kingdom is Jesus Christ himself and his work and what he's accomplished. And he wants you in it. And so these verses, we find that Jesus, he's he's not proclaiming bad news. He's proclaiming good news. That you can be cleansed and you can be forgiven because of what Christ has done in his work. Jesus came to stand before men. And again, he stood there for you. And so I want to ask you, you're sitting here and you you are not part of the king's kingdom. You have not... Yet, obeyed the king's command to repent and believe. Then, right now, today, as you sit here, the king is still speaking and he's telling you today, repent and believe. Would you do that? I mean, even it doesn't have to be some formal thing. I mean, just you sitting there with God, even in the quietness of your seat, saying, God, I get it. I am a sinner outside of your kingdom. Will you forgive me? And I see Jesus maybe for the first time ever for who he is. He's God standing beneath heaven for me, standing against sin for me. God, would you save me? God, I believe. Will you repent and believe? And I know for many of you that happened last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Sometime in the past. Here's a thought for you. Will you live as an ambassador for Christ as the New Testament urges us to do? Here's this, the king has a message. Repent and believe. He's died, been buried, risen again. He's he's, he's in the heavens and now he's left us here as ambassadors to go share this good news too. He's left you here on earth to continue his work of heralding the good news. Will you do that? This is good news. And I would remind you, based on verses 14 and 15, uh, just something that one person noted here. The arrest of John and the beginning of Jesus' ministry are intentionally correlated to show that the gospel is proclaimed and known in adversity and suffering, not in ease and comfort. I mean, right, John's, John's been taken, he's been handed over, and Jesus is preaching the gospel. This is all happening simultaneously. I think sometimes we think, well, No, this should be easy. It's so hard. We live in a broken world. The gospel goes out in a world of brokenness, decay, rot, and sin. We don't expect it to be easy. It's never, since the dawn of time, it's never been easy. Since the dawn of this era, it's never been easy. And yet it's the greatest news. And it goes forth and it's known in adversity and in suffering. Not ease and comfort. Also, the ministry of Jesus was a preaching, teaching ministry. And he preached and he taught so that people might enter the kingdom of God and to, that they might then know the joy of the kingdom and kingdom life now, as it was already entering it in, as it was already something happening. And they might live according to kingdom law today. Jesus came and taught the law of the kingdom. What are you doing with Jesus' kingdom law? Jesus came to stand before men and he's proclaiming this good news and that gospel message is more than a simple moment in time where you bow your head and you repent and believe and now you're good. The good news of Jesus, it's a message that takes us all through life's journey. And Jesus came to stand before men and said, let me teach you the law of the kingdom and I'm going to do that with authority as the king. And we have a, Here today, we have God's entire word before us, full of kingdom law from the king. What are we gonna do with the words that this king has spoken to us? I hope that you will love them and that you will cherish them and that you will sit at the feet of the greatest teacher, the greatest king, and say, God, I wanna learn. God, I wanna grow. Jesus came as a servant to stand beneath heaven against sin and before men The work that Jesus came to do, I I think looking at what we've seen so far, it can't be done remotely. Jesus doesn't stay in heaven. Say, oh, this will all get sorted out. He says, I've got to get there. I love these people. They have made a huge mess in their sin. And I'm going to go stand beneath heaven against sin and before these people. He is a God who loves us Praise God that he came to earth and he's arrived on the scene and he's come to deal with our sin and what a blessing it is to know he's going to come again, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Would you bow your head with me at this time? Why don't we just